I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. I mean, I've got a lot to say, but I want to say the first thing is that uh, I didn't – I thought about this intensely today on the drive up here. Actually, I should have had my high point for Vigilante be Final Fight, the Capcom video game from 1989. Oh because <laughs> this is the setup. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't – Greg probably does, has never played Final Fight before. I've never played we video games that. before. We can definitely fix that. We can definitely fix that. But the, the setup <laughs> is that in a in, – there is a, a fictional city where there's a guy named Mike Hagar – who's a former professional wrestler turned mayor of the city whose daughter gets kidnapped by a gang, a gang <laughs> called Mad Gear, and he decides to uh, become a vigilante <laughs> along with his two friends and beat up the, all the street toughs to, to rescue his daughter. His, his costume being suit pants <laughs> and apparently a... a uh, leather strap. It's, a leather, a leather, it's like, it's like a bandolier. It's like a bandolier yeah. without any bullets. No, it just goes just, from his belt just takes off over his, his shoulder. And use it like a suspender and his, so that he can more effectively kick people in the yeah, junk. He's shirtless and he just like punches people and he suplexes them and then yeah. he does a pile driver if he can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> final, final Fight is definitely my... Probably should be my high point for Vigilante because it's so fucking bonkers. And the, the bad guys in the game are so cartoonish. They're, the gang members are a lot like the ones in The Warriors. Yes. Where yes. it goes even further than the stuff you see in like Double Dragon where it's guys in jean jackets with the sleeves torn off and bandanas and switchblades. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are guys with like those kind of the same glasses that like the mole man and Captain Cold wears, <laughs> where yes. they like wrap around shades of the little yes. slits those, you those see through. Snow yes. blindness goggles. Yeah, yeah. yeah they are, he wears those, and it's like that with like a pink mohawk and a cape with like a radiation symbol on it. <laughs> Games, comma video, comma warrior influence. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, amazing. that's. <laughs> You know, when I'm going to strike fear into the hearts of my enemies, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of outfit that I'd be looking for. <laughs> There's like one guy, the Agor, who's basically, is it Adore? I forget. A- Andre. 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 He's basically supposed to be Andre the Giant, except he's wearing like that cheetah print onesie yes. that you see Tarzan wearing all yes. the time. And he's just walking around the city in it, beating up people. I forget that Andre the Giant never actually wore that outfit. Actually, no, I have no so idea where that, that. I don't know yeah. where that came from. What I do know is that the large inspiration for that video game came from the, uh, the movie Streets of Fire, which... I don't remember who the director was. Streets of Fire. Oh, that was Hill. It was one of it was no, 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 that was Hill. That was Walter. It was Hill. The, yes, it was a Walter Hill movie. It was it was it was if not the first Willem Dafoe movie, it was one of the first Willem Dafoe movies about street gangs in New York. I guess. I well, think. it was kind of almost thematically the follow up to the Warriors. It was. And, it yeah, was, and that was you know that was kind of where Walter Hill and even Forty Eight Hours is kind of that yeah. same urban hell. Yep. Well, Willem Dafoe's That's just kind of his deal. Yeah, few vigilante yeah. movies. I mean, that one, uh, Boondock Saints, uh, Passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is the bloodiest one. Should we let our listeners know that uh, that we did invite Sam Mulvey in to be on our fun size episode today? Welcome. I mean, yeah. Mr. Hi. Sam Mulvey. Thanks, Sam. No, they didn't invite me. I just jammed an XLR into my mixer. Ha <laughs> you have me now. <laughs> <laughs> He's God, pigs! God, pigs! <laughs> He's half the feed! But yeah, I just, I, what I find just so bonkers about this is that it is, these movies are cartoons, and I find that the closer you get to reality, the more uncomfortable I get. I do not want to see issues that pertain to modern politics dig into it. And that's what I yeah. really kind of comes oh, to be my, my love-hate <laughs> thing with the show 24. Oh, yeah. Because we, we almost could do a whole panel my loathing for on, 24. on 24, yeah. and we've talked about it before. And I would I think I would not want to actually watch 24 to be able to do a panel on it. It would It would hurt me inside. Mm-hmm. I go back and forth. 24 is like firmly in the tradition of fiction that I really like and grew up on. It's that whole sort of, you know, one man alone in a fucked up world. But it's just a little too weirdly right wing. And, you know, the and in fairness, I think that they sort of understand it because they've made little gestures towards the idea that maybe Jack Bauer's going a little too far a little <laughs> I, I, no in the in the world of 24 jack bauer is a little too far in the in the any sane assessment of counterterrorism. yeah I, I think the only reason jack bauer even is justified at all is because ctu is the single most fucked up anti-terrorism agency ever in the history of ever i think in every single season of the show there has been at least one turncoat. One turncoat and at least a three-hour segment where he has to go rogue against his own agency. Yeah. And it's that's kind of where I get to that cop-on-the-edge vigilante thing. That's where because he, he... It's like he will spend at least four hours on the run as a fugitive doing horrible things. And, of course, once they find that turncoat, he's welcomed with open arms. There's never a moment where they're like, okay... Uh, Jack, we got to talk about your torture. <laughs> but we're talking about it as a, as, a, as a binary unit. I mean, the first two seasons of Twenty Four, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously Jack Bauer is is uh, Keith Kiefer Sutherland being a vigilante guy. I mean, it's it's weird, but he might be on the right side. But I think as the show evolved into its later stages, essentially when I stopped watching, you were talking about in the break like Rainbow Six and sort of the works uh-huh. of Tom Clancy. And I think Twenty Four for me kind of took the same turn that well that Clancy did, and it just became unpalatable pro conservative bullshit towards the end of the run. Yeah, and. Um... Part of it is that John Kasser, the guy that does it, is a super conservative. If you ever listen to any of the commentaries, you can hear him fighting, literally, with some of his actors who are very liberal. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and a lot of the actors are kind of like, oh, let's not talk about that. We won't, don't want to derail the fun train. But you can hear them kind of <laughs> sniping at each other about, you know, one another's politics. And, I, you know, the... He's the director. He's the boss. He's a co-producer. He's very clearly his hatred of liberals is growing over the course of the show, and it, yeah. it leaches into the fiction. I th- I think that if you f- ever forget what you're doing, I mean, here's an example from comics. There's a writer named Chuck Dixon who's pretty right wing, and he's 
lost jobs because he's a right-wing guy in an industry that's full of very hippy-dippy left-wing guys. Right. But Dixon doesn't ever, he never is a rainbow six. He never lets it get into his fiction. Dixon knows what he's doing. He is one of the very few guys in the last 20 years to write Batman stories where you don't suddenly sit up and say, wait a minute. You know, he his Joker stories, especially the Joker is a character that's been so overused. And each guy that comes in and does the Joker thinks, okay, I need to make the Joker worse. And it reaches a point where you you literally are damaging the property. Dixon never did that. He had a great sense of exactly how far to take it, where it's scary enough that it needs Batman but it's not so scary that you can't understand why a cop doesn't just shoot this guy once he's in custody. Okay. And um, and that's and Dixon really he was one of the best writers of the Punisher. Um, in my perfect world, there's like a monthly magazine called Macho Adventure where um, Chuck Dixon and Mike Grell and, and Bo Smith just take turns writing like westerns and vigilante stories. And it's just, you know, full on testosterone, Louis L'Amour, badass shit every hmm. month. I would I would hmm. totally be down for that. But yeah, Dixon, if I had a poll list, I'd be on it. I know. And, and Dixon's my idea of how to do it right. And uh, – 24 lost that, though. It didn't have that sense of it, of self-awareness until it went too far. Yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, 24, when it tried to self-correct, it was never in reaction. It was never out of self-awareness. It was always in reaction to bad press. Mm-hmm. It was the year that, you know, it, all the reviews like, oh, my God, now this is torture porn. This is like Saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> it was hard to that's root for That's about when something. I tuned out, yeah. And it got too real because, one, it was talking about terrorism, and we're also having things like Abu Ghraib prison scandals happen. Yeah. Where we're saying, okay, that's how we treat bad guys. And you're like, I don't know if I want to root for somebody who's in the same category as X. And yeah. I think one of the things for me is that 24 – Really is one of the best examples of well done action serial storytelling on television over the last 20 years where it was exciting. It never felt cheap. It never felt like they were skimping on things. It did cliffhangers incredibly well, but it would slowly turn up the dial on right wing bullshit to make you uncomfortable. Like the first season, there's little touches of it, but over the course, I think it's season three, where Jack Bauer really wants to torture bad guy. Bad guy has rights. No Jack Bauer. And <laughs> Bad Jack Bauer. There's this moment where um, they tell him, sorry, Jack, you can't torture this guy. There's this little thing called the Constitution, you know, that's the backbone of the government you work for that says we can't extract uh, uh, information from people by cutting their fingers off. Oh, so um, Jack Bauer is stuck in a situation where a guy from a very clear analog for Amnesty International (laughs) is straight out telling him, that's my client. You can't hurt him for my answers. And um, so Jack goes, "Okay, okay, I'll back off. I'll back off. Wait till he gets to his car. (laughs) And Jack ties the guy to the steering wheel and starts breaking fingers. And we're supposed to go, yeah, yeah, that mean pesky lawyer, he's ruining our fun. And I was like, holy shit, I've given to that organization. I am really fucking uncomfortable (laughs) right now. (laughs) That's not even the worst. The worst is when Jack Bauer, in one episode, tortures the wrong guy. Yes. And nobody says, 
dude. Bad call. <laughs> I that know was that not, one. That was not cool. He, got, he tortured the wrong guy, and he never even apologizes no. to the guy he tortures. And that guy goes, well, I understand you were trying to do the right thing. Now we're going to team up. And I'm like, fuck no. You broke apart a lamp and shocked my nipples. You are not my friend. That, that was after my time. But now I'm beginning to think that 24 may have been a good thing overall for humanity. Because, I mean, 24 happened uh, not too long after 9-11. We were all like, let's go kill all the peoples and stuff like that. And then, so I'm going to explain why it was a good thing in, in, in an allegory of uh, a story involving me, Mike, and Phoenix Jones. Oh, and, oh. Uh, we were We were at a bar, as we often are. Um, where the best ideas are hatched. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, you know, we're we're having a conversation. We're talking about vigilante. I think we were talking about vigilante movies a little bit and superheroes and what real life superheroes would be like. I think this was the, at the very beginning of you trying to get me to read The Watchmen. Um, and I bring up Phoenix Jones, and oh. and this was before that guy who uh, decided to become Phoenix Jones' uh, uh, arch nemesis, Rex was. Velvet. It was before Rex Velvet. Oh, I love Rex and Velvet. And I had an idea. It was like anyone who is not from the Northwest, just just do the YouTube video for Rex Velvet. It is fucking glorious. And I'm thinking it's like this guy needs this guy needs what what real life superheroes don't have are supervillains. Supervillains mm-hmm. are interesting. I mean, the only reason why Batman has ever meant to damn to me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what Phoenix Jones needs is a supervillain. Wait, Mike, look at us. Oh. Look at us. We're, cool. We're that guy. Wait, all right, I got to think about this. And then I start, we start, I start like, Mike checks out immediately because he has a conscience. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I'm going, da, 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 da. and then like, uh, da, I'm, I'm on like page three of my notes, like, fucking Christ, I'm planning a bank heist. And um, maybe this is that a bad. Rhymed. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe this is a bad idea. And perhaps twenty four was sort of our national uh, zeitgeist version of that, where we go, where where Jack Bauer is 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 lamp nippling uh, uh, a guy, <laughs> and then the American body politic goes. Shit, maybe this isn't a good idea anymore. <laughs> Sometimes fiction can save us from that happening in real life. Well, by the way, it didn't. <laughs> and it's it's scary though. But yeah, that was the thing with Phoenix Jones. Um, it's weird because of the two of us, Sam. I am clearly the one who loves superheroes more. I have loved these characters since I was a kid. But I also know it's an incredibly fragile genre, that yeah. there are questions you just do not ask, there are places you just do not go, or it unravels very fucking fast. Mm-hmm. And one of them is don't put too much real life in a superhero story. And when you take a superhero out of a universe that conspires to make them look cool and give them things to do and makes them better than the entire police force together then they look really sad. And when Phoenix Jones is running around in a rubber costume getting chased away by... He's trying to break up a bar fight outside of a drunken club, and then the lady chases him away with a high heel shoe, and I'm like, motherfucker, just stop. (laughs) You are ruining this for me because now I know Batman can't be real. I I mean, mean, my my, always my non-funny way of, of criticizing Phoenix Jones is that Phoenix Jones needed to reveal his identity like a couple years back. He yeah. had to go into court or something, so yeah. they re- revealed his identity. Well, beat up a guy. Um, yeah, well, I mean, he had to... Because he's Phoenix. He, yeah, he, he had to eventually face the law, the fucking law. Oddly, that's against the law. Uh, yeah. So his identity is known, so he cannot be a true superhero. But he's a single dad. He's a guy who has young kids. And uh, being a dad myself, I'm known... That's, it is so fucking irresponsible 
of what Phoenix Jones doing and doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna run around at night where you know I could catch a bullet. Like just because I, because of my whatever insane venture that I'm on right now, some asshole with a gun could shoot me. I could die, and my kid, who is really the one who he should be the most responsible for, not the city. He's not. Yeah. He's not the tick. This is not the city. Um, it's going to suffer the most because he's got young fucking kids. So Phoenix Jones, stay fucking home. Stay. I think home. he is now. I, I hope the, he is. It's yeah. the worst thing. It's the worst way for your parent to die. Your parent so dies in a way stupid. where he becomes a joke. Yeah. So fucking. That stupid. is fucking awful. Stay home. And that's that's. That's the worst case scenario. That could I don't even know if this is better or worse, but he could fucking murder somebody. He could. Yes. He it turns out when you hit people really hard, they sometimes die. Yeah. And this is what's so weird about this is I love superheroes. I love superhero fiction to death, but put me in real life and I am J fucking Jonah Jameson. <laughs> well, I think that just makes you a reasoning human being. <laughs> yeah. I I live in the barrio. I I live in a place we've had two shootings in our apartment complex in the last six months where it's a high crime area. I know that ghettos aren't cool. I know that, you know, it's not amped up adrenaline fueled adventure to live there. But I still love movies like The Warriors, which is essentially a celebration of gang crime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because I know the difference and and the the idea of fiction is you play out these scenarios to sort of vent the the feeling so that you're not acting this way in real life that's the that dates back to the ancient greeks that aristotle pointed out this is what it's for this is why mm. we tell each other stories and guys like phoenix jones or or bernard getz or the the mopes over in eastern oregon and the bird sanctuary whoever are just they are telling themselves that they're heroes because they're trying to, I don't even know what they're trying to do, but if they found something fictional that they could live out their fantasies through, it would be a lot better for all of us. I guess this goes into uh, vigilante fiction a little bit, but I mean, maybe for me, I've never really been interested in the concept of superheroes very much. Um, They always seemed a little, even Superman, I, I think I went into this, but... They always, even Batman, all the big ones, they all seem a little bit two-dimensional, except for Iron Man. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> but I love supervillains. I love the concept of supervillains. I love the psychology. But the thing is where you don't want to bring a superhero into the real world because then the 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 morality of it comes into play and all that stuff. With supervillains, not so much. Yeah. I mean, like like thinking about the the... the the morality of, of, of a supervillain in the real world is something that fascinates me because it's like – and it's – like I said, it's sort of like my vigilante fiction is I do a show where I talk about how screwed up the world is and holy cats, what could I do the world – what could I do to the world if I just had a slightly subtracted, completely absent, if you will, moral sense where mm. I could just said, yeah – Man, you know what would really fix this? A laser. Some domestic terrorism <laughs> and a laser. Yeah, right. and a laser. And, uh, and that's, that, that's a thing that is always, I mean, part of it is is I, I stay away from superhero stuff just for reasons, but I always kind of keep it at arm's length because of that part of it has always been so fascinating to me. So much so that I've thought about exploring it in fiction myself. And uh, just the, the, the psychology that goes into is like the world sucks. I'd like to make it a better place. 
being a bad guy would be an effective way to make the world a better place. Well, and I think that I think vigilante movies play into that. A lot. I think it's interesting because the superhero as a genre is a really interesting one because you look at Batman and Superman, it really is a protection of the oh. status quo. Well, you look at a lot of it is oh. that they are reactionary characters. You struck a nerve there. Well, I know it's it's a reactionary character. The crisis happens. This uh, extraordinarily powerful or skilled person steps in, and they fix that problem, and everything gets set back to zero. And the supervillain is the person who is actively trying to change the status quo in some way. They want the world to be different, usually by everyone bowing before them or them destroying some major thing. And the interesting thing is there are some really interesting explorations of having the superhero take that step to change the status quo. And I think the best example that I can think of is Miracle Man slash Marvel Man. Which was a reboot that Alan Moore da, 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 did. Sorry. Oh well, he, he's a reboot. Song. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a reboot of a uh, older British superhero character from the 1950s, which had gone out of publication for years. And Alan Moore said, "Well, what if he existed in the real world?" Which is a question he's asked a lot mm-hmm. in various stories. And Watchmen is one. Watchmen is a well. It's a bunch of dumpy guys who wear costumes and occasionally beat up muggers, but it's kind of sad. And the other one is, well, what if he's really powerful? What if a Superman-type character was there? And what if he did try to change the status quo? What if he tried to create a utopia and was successful? And they explore that quite a bit, and and Neil Gaiman ended up picking up the baton from that and saying, what does the world look like in an age where disease and war and crime has completely conquered, and now we have jetpacks and super lasers, and we can travel anywhere in the world, and there's a giant pyramid where a god lives at the top of it in London. And it's really weird, and bits of it that are kind of scary, and is there a place for for darkness in this bright new utopia where people wear capital letters on their chest? Hmm. And it's it's a weird kind of look, and I really am, I enjoyed quite a bit reading both the Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman versions. Of what it. is it with utopian fiction and letters on your chest? Because why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's the same with having a Saturn on your. You got to represent, you I know, you know. Right. Uh, so this is the one billion ton elephant in the room. I'm the only one sitting in this room who saw Batman versus Superman: Colon Dawn of Justice. Right? That, that title is so on fucking purpose. pretentious. Oh, Department <laughs> yeah. of Justice. I've been calling it Department of Justice. So um, do you, you want to know why I would do such a thing? Obviously, I'm in the minority here. The only reason why I could describe it would be rubbernecking. You know what happens when you slow down so you can watch the wreck on the side of the road, the 12-car pileup. Um, my take on this is my son, who is three years old, Loves Batman and Superman. He loves Batman and Superman so much that when we were on va- vacation last week, he refused to go to bed until I would. Fi- I found his little water bottle that has both Batman and Superman on it. He, w- he threw a fit until I found it. He dresses up in a Superman shirt with a cape on it, and I read Batman and Friends books, like Batman and Friends hooked on phonics books to him before he goes to bed. He loves these characters so much. I refuse to show him Zack Snyder's version of Batman and Superman. I will not do it. I just won't do it. Well, that's just Don't good parenting. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say, though, this, like the uh, Star Wars prequels, um, I'm not going to just you know offer it to him. I'm going to wait till he's old enough to sort of research it on the internet to know where these things come out and asks me why I haven't shown it to them so he can go and find them himself. I'm not going to I'm not going to offer these versions of these characters to him so he can come up with his own opinion about 
who these characters are and sort of compare them to the ideal that he's built to them in his head. Because right now, it's not these are not the characters you want to show to a young child. They simply are not uh, palatable, reasonable. They're not reasonable. They're they're the crazy, angry, adolescent version of these characters that is just insecure, that is stupid, and is desperate to be taken seriously by bullies that don't exist. Uh, And that's the thing that's so fucked up about it is it's clearly not aimed at children. It's aimed at man children who are uh, have arrested development and um, are are desperate to prove that their love of children's characters has to be taken seriously by making them not fun (laughs) and never smiling. But. The thing that bugs me the most with it, not that there's going to be an R-rated cut that they're releasing in the theaters. There's an R-rated fucking who Superman fucking, movie. Who fucking cares? But despite the fact that these are clearly not... I, no, as an aside to this, who fucking cares? Yeah. Is that really a, 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 a sale point for this movie is to be like, ooh, there's an R-rated movie. Apparently yeah, it is version. because they're talking about Fuck releasing that. it. Well, Fuck talk about that. releasing it? That's so yeah. fucking stupid. They're desperate to try and so somehow stupid. lure people back to the, the drop-off has completely panicked them this oh. is supposed to be the dcu version of the marvel string of hits all i was being told and, was that the uh, superman and the superman movies were doing like the man of steel did great and, and this is man of steel great. did do great but you know this one is not doing so great because first of all it's it apparently Casey can check me on this. It's apparently for people that thought Man of Steel was too light and peppy. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's one. You are kidding. That's true. Um, and secondly, it's dumb. It's just dumb. Well, I expected people, that. Well, uh, many do, but the the there's superhero dumb where we accept that a man dresses like a giant bat and goes and punches out muggers instead of funding i don't know education and anti-poverty programs with his millions <laughs> right um, there's a great web comic somewhere where you know bruce wayne is talking to alfred and saying you know i need to do something about crime and of course that's great you know with your millions you could fund you know this program and that program and and bruce goes no i think i'm going to put on a giant cape and go out and beat the shit out of muggers <laughs> and alfred goes what what bruce goes yeah and a cool car i need a cool car (laughs) (laughs) i didn't mean that kind of dumb though i mean i know but that's that's what i'm saying is there's there's a kind of dumb that you go along with you know like the idea that a guy that wants to conquer the world is going to do it from inside a hollowed out volcano or a satellite or something. <laughs> oh, that's that's the I kind of dumb that, one, that yeah. you yeah. know. But on the other hand, the kind of dumb where you just suddenly sit up and go, "Wait, what the fuck? Yeah. You can fly. Why are you doing this?" You <laughs> like know, literally that kind of. Yeah. You know that kind I of. Forgot that Superman that, that, has that okay. vision. Like, you know like, that I, kind of needle scratch. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I am going to lay out a spoiler that has been relayed to me by countless people who have seen this movie because okay, I'm okay. not walking into that fucking volcano but everyone else was willing to because it's a movie with Batman and Superman so of course it does a good opening weekend right uh, the climax of the movie and I swear to God I am not joking okay Batman and Superman are fighting Batman is spraying kryptonite dust on Superman and beating the fuck out of him as he would and at the moment he's gonna have his kill shot he's gonna finish off this guy that he thinks could be responsible for killing everyone in the world we're talking like Osama bin Laden times a hundred. You have this guy in your crosshairs, and in that moment, they find out that their mothers have the same name, Martha. And Batman's like, wait, wait, what? My mom's name is Martha. How do you know that name? What? 
oh, shit, I can't kill you now. I think we're friends. <laughs> and I'm like, is that why the Joker's still alive in this universe? And he's just like, he's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Is your mother's name Martha? <laughs> What's great. my mother's name? It'd be great if it, it just immediately went to a super friends. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Oh, our... Fucking Christ! So, well, wait a minute here, because I wanted to give you the alternate take. I told you, Mike, before that I'm going to give you the alternate take. There have been rare instances where dramatic tone shifts from one from a comic book source to a different source have been far more enduring and interesting than the original. Um, uh, a couple of them would be like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and The Tick, two things that I love a lot. Um, and the shift between their original source and what they ended up being is just really dramatic. Like, obviously, the original TMNT, Eastman and Laird, and the Ben Edlin Tick uh, comic book are very different than what actually ended up on the screen, which is what people remember about them, right? Um, but those are more derivative and kid-friendly, right? So they don't really... Both of them work in different forms. They, they don't they don't really count in this example. My one counterexample will be Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. So many people who I know who were in high school especially who were diehard Tolkien fans you freaking fall asleep Sam <laughs> sorry who were diehard Tolkien fans were so hostile to the portrayal of Aragorn of Gimli and of Marion Pippin that they felt like the necessity of transitioning these characters to a movie really destroyed the authenticity of these characters like and things like the exclusion of Tom Bombadil making the making the universe kind of less fantastical and more like dark and gritty um i can entertain the argument though that even though peter jackson really did shift the tone of his material he really did open up the settings and these characters to an audience that endures now probably far broader than the books ever actually did so in this way i'll say that just because we have this sort of gentleman's disagreement about um, how Batman and Superman should be that necessarily taking that they're making them a more darker tone or taking them into a broader audience is necessarily the worst thing that can do. I don't know if that's a I don't know if that's a universally uh, valid argument. Well, to, ad- yeah, to adaptation, but you're it's not just adaptation. It's the I really feel very strongly that the thing that fuels the Zack Snyder version is the enraged fanboy take that we've been talking about. And it's kind of the same. But it can't be the enraged fanboy type if it appeals to eight hundred million dollars worth of box office for one week. And then they saw it and then they didn't come back. Hmm. But that's that's not even my argument. My argument is that I think if you if you want to make use of the cultural baggage of the 75 years worth of history that goes with the property, you have to, at some point, give people at least a piece of it. I think Peter ja- I don't think Peter Jackson disrespected Tolkien. I don't, I don't think he moved his movies so far away from the books that they were unrecognizable. Mm. I think the spine of the thing was intact. I don't think you make that argument with the the new Snyder DC stuff. I think at some point you you move so far away that you don't get to call it by that name anymore. Mm. I I think a, a a Superman and a Batman that that kill indiscriminately that that do more harm to their respective cities that they're trying to help than they would if they'd never shown up at all. Right. Um, I think that a, a Superman 
especially a Superman that you can't take a kid to, that that you're bragging about your R-rated version of Superman, I don't think you should get to call it Superman, especially since there's lots of pastiche versions of Superman that DC even owns for crying out loud. There's there's the authority with Apollo and the Midnighter. Yeah. There's there's uh, um, what else? There's there's countless um, uh, there's, Elseworlds versions of Superman. Well, yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. If you really want to tell your your story about how super altruistic alien first contact is going to end very badly for everybody involved. You can do, you can do Philip Wiley's gladiator for crying out loud. (laughs) There's you know, there's, it's not like the properties don't exist, but he wants to be able to call it Superman. He wants that nerd dollar. He wants that. Mm. They want Avengers money. And and that's, that's (laughs) where I take issue with it. Cause if you're going to do that, then at least do the real thing. Do one that kids can enjoy. Do something that you can aspire to. I think Devin Faraci kind of sums up really well for me on how misguided this is from conception is how heavily based on the Dark Knight Returns it is, and that this is supposed to be the foundation of a cinematic universe like Marvel has, that it's going to be a shared universe that calls across all these different comic book characters and connects them in a shared continuity. You can't do that starting with the Dark Knight Returns, because the Dark Knight Returns, one, takes place in a dystopian future, and it's written to be the last Batman story. Yeah. <laughs> and it leaves every character in it broken. Yeah. Batman is no longer Batman. Batman can no longer be Batman. And it's a vision of Superman where he's in a world where he has to be sort of a government pawn that he doesn't like. But even the Frank Miller version of Superman still is sunny and bright and uses bright primary colors. And the first full screen image of Clark Kent you see in it he looks like he's pulled off the cover of a romance novel (laughs) and he's got a butterfly flying near him and the sun is shining on him they don't even give you that in this movie because you can barely tell that his suit is red and blue but the part that really bothers me more than anything it isn't that they're over in this corner is this adult version of Superman it's that the adult angry version of Superman is the default version and there is no place for kids in that and at the same time they are fucking marketing this movie to children through coloring books and action figures and yeah. toys and things See, that are clearly not made for adults like us. They're not even hitting the the slightly broken, uh, uh, more morally questionable humans in because like from what I was hearing about uh, what what Department of Justice was going to be and what I was hearing about and, and what I saw from Man of Steel is I always had this thought in the back of my head because um, I don't write, but I kind of wish I did. Um, is man writing, uh, writing a supervillain, writing Lex Luthor in this in this world? Like Lex Luthor would be the would be the hero. Like a, a properly written Lex Luthor would be the hero of Man of Steel and Department of Justice. Because he's like, yeah, okay, uh, Earth is being attacked by super powerful alien invaders. Kill the aliens, save the world. Yeah. This this is very easy dots to connect, and it's like God. I can't wait to see what they do with Lex Luthor. Lex and Luthor that's the one thing that's been spoiled for me. And apparently, they fucked it up. They fucked it up. And said because how do you fuck that up? That's aliens, the easiest thing. Ever. Aliens have destroyed because the city. They have never managed to do Lex Luthor properly. Um, the the cartoon, the the Bruce Tim cartoon, got closer than anybody else, but. Really, if you look back to the Christopher Reeve movies, to the various TV shows... That was a a great Luthor, but it was not... Lex Luthor. Luthor, Lex Luthor is a worthy opponent 
to Superman. Yes. He is a guy that genuinely can endanger Superman. And the best Lex Luthor is the one that is doing it because he is right and Superman is wrong. Because he can make the moral It's, it's not because he's gl- gloating in his eviltude. Yeah. He, he sees himself as the righteous opposition to an alien that cannot be allowed to roam free. But apparently they That's gave the best Lex Luthor. All of that motivation to Batman, mm-hmm. which doesn't make a lot of sense for Batman. Yeah. And now you've got Lex Luthor on meth? I mean, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, he just basically... Apparently there is a plot point in this movie that basically involves a jar of Lex Luthor's pee that is used before he sets off a Sorry. bomb. The yes. deathly silence you're hearing from yes, me is that is meaningful. That is your brain uh, synapses burning. Yeah, okay. Uh, but Casey can back me up on this. There is indeed a scene in the movie where Lex Luthor's piss in a jar uh, happens <laughs> in a key moment in the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it does. It's right before Lex Luthor bombs Congress and kills a bunch <sighs> of people. And as the flames are curling around Superman, who is unharmed, he does nothing to he protect just, the countless people he, who are burning he just, to death. He just looks sad. He does not. He does not. He does not dash at supersonic speed to cover the body of a of a young mother, or to try to uh, you know hold the bomb to to land on the grenade as uh, as Steve Rogers does yeah. often, right? Is to, is to be the one to throw himself on the grenade. He just stands still and looks remorseful. Yeah, it's like here's an idea. How about Superman tries to fucking save somebody? <laughs> it, how's that for a fucking novelty? And when something happens, uh, how about the idea, how about he hears the bomb right before it goes off and moves at super speed and throws it into the air? Well, again, needle scratch moment. It's like, dude, you have super speed and can fly. Yeah. What happened to that? You can also hear things that nobody else can hear. He's, you can he smell says, well, they, they have an, they have an in, they have an in dialogue that he's, I wasn't looking for it. Like... That he was just remiss, right? Because his mind was somewhere else. That actually yeah. doesn't make it better. No, yeah. it, doesn't. it doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it better. <laughs> Anyways, I will say that the one other thing I wanted to bring up on this is that the second Suicide Squad trailer came out, which I'm in agreement with you. It looks more fun, a more fun experience, with the exception of, you know, I just brought up that previous point just for devil's advocate's sake, right? Because I actually don't think that it's a laudable version of batman or superman that i think should endure um but they have a sort of an unnamed congressman or bureaucrat at a table going like what would happen if superman flew in here and blew off the top of a building what would we do well we need the suicide squad like that well, was the whole thing the problem is that why they, does this universe keep setting that up that superman's they, gonna they do keep bad setting things? that up they're like what if superman came and fucked us all up why doesn't dc universe take the opposite tack which is um we've got superman on our side Let's have him help us. The, uh, the the characters in this universe are constantly saying, what if Superman was bad? Yeah. Constantly. Because the people making these movies can't conceive of a, a setup where Superman is a good thing because at their core, they don't like Superman. Yeah. They're trying to fix Superman, and the way to fix Superman is to make him dark and cool and badass. He's not Batman. He's and, not and Batman. And they, the idea that there's a tonal difference between different characters is just silly. So, I promised revenge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what am I going to have to do now? Are you going to see Department of Justice? No. Yes. Department. No. You guys, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You guys no, need to see this, it together. At this point, it is. You it guys is, need to see it together. I, I can't make you do it, Sam. I couldn't make Ted Cruz do it. <laughs> You've made me watch the three-hour version of The Watchmen and Man of Steel. 
I'm going to watch you watch Department of Justice, yes. and I'm going to enjoy the jo- hell out of it. Jo- I, I, John I love Ashcroft that you keep calling Eric it Holder Department, Department of Justice, Justice like it's some sort of government <laughs> bureaucratic obligation. It's about <laughs> as fun as one, it sounds like. I will watch like 19 hours of C-SPAN nope. before I watch I, I've this seen movie. you watch 19 hours of C-SPAN. That's no boast. Hey, I want to watch you watch this Hey, guys, this I, will go, I will go watch it again with you two if you can get both of you in a theater. I, will, I don't want to, but I will. You don't want to, but I don't, you will. I don't want to, but I will. I almost, at this point, it's almost like a point of principle of me not <laughs> seeing this movie, because I said, I've said for over a year that I wouldn't. I did say revenge. Yeah, it is revenge. <laughs> so unless I wake up and you're standing lucky? over me and throw a sack over my head. <laughs> Do you think I, I am incapable of this, sir? And I'm like, what's, you... go, what's going on? And suddenly I hear Hans Zimmer music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. No, I'm going to full on the Robico technique. I'm going to prop your eyes open. I'm going to get a nurse to drop in eyedroppers every five seconds. Your entire field of view is going to be Zack Snyder from one cornea to the other. That's all you got for the 18 and a half fucking hours this movie from, seems to go from on from cornea to cornea yeah <laughs> I, that's all I, I, the only I thing I could come up with this yeah. sounds suspiciously like vigilante justice <laughs> to me <laughs> Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran our editor was Mike Gillis our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Why did you bring me here? Ask your father, it's up to him. Dad? Tell me how to find your courier, Stephen, or I'm going to put your daughter in that building. You wouldn't dare. She has nothing to do with this. Neither do the people in those body bags. I'm going to do everything that I have to to stop you from releasing more of this virus. How could you do this? I'm going to give you one chance. No, you're not. Tell me how I find them. You know you can't do this, Jack. You are a government agent. Send her in. Take her inside, now! No! Dad, stop them! Dad, stop them! Stop it! Stop it! Dad, please! No! 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 Stop it, Dad! Everything that happens to your daughter is because of you! Get her out of there, Jack! Now, Jack! When your daughter is infected, I'm gonna make you watch her.